0: Hello, my name's Nick. Hello, I'm Walgie. We are the Mouth of Manliness. This is a podcast all about uh, mental health. But it's not just mental health. Um, it's kind of about people's lives and about uh, how they cope and how they manage in the world. Yeah, and digging into the stories that make them who they are. Yeah, so it's real life stories um, where we talk about things that people have been through and how they've managed and how they've coped and how they've come out the other side. So sometimes it's just me and Wargy here, but more often than not, we're talking to guests, uh, sometimes more well-known guests, but more often than anything, it's um, just normal people who have been through um, interesting situations. Yeah, and they've all got a lovely story to tell. Yeah, so Mouth of Manliness, we are about mental health, but we're more about people and stories. So, welcome to the Mouth... The Mouth of Manliness... Back, everyone, to the Battle for Manliness. Um, we are still, um, yeah, season three, um, all going very well. Uh, I want to do a shout out to Tramp Man and to Nikon Knights. Um, and uh, I've got a really exciting guest today, um, from uh, America, um, Dr. Meg Van Dowson.
1: Yeah, that well, we actually pronounce it Van Dusen up here.
0: Van Dusen. <laughs> that sounds nice, but... Well, actually. you know,
1: it's Dutch. It should be Van Dusen, but, you know, we see Van Dusen. Yeah. Ah, nice,
0: nice. So, yeah. um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Where are you?
1: Yeah, I'm in Seattle, Washington.
0: Ah, lovely. Yeah, I'm a, a 90s kid, so um, or I grew up in the 90s, so I was always excited about Seattle. Oh, cool. Brands, yeah, Defo. Um, so what are you a doctor in, Meg?
1: Yeah, so I am a clinical psychologist. I've got a private practice. Um, and I just authored the book, Stressed in the U.S.
0: Amazing, amazing. So tell us about the book. Let's start with that.
1: Yeah, you know, I... Um, was noticing this is prior to the pandemic I want to make that clear yeah. you know I was just noticing that um, the things that people were coming into the therapy room with yeah. um, were um, not just uh, they were, people weren't just talking about their personal stress um, that's always been the case but yeah. they were starting to talk about other stressors like mass shootings politics global warming and anxiety was really rising among people in my private practice as was insomnia and so i really started to take a look at what was happening in our country and our country is not unlike many countries around the world there are a lot of parallels with the uk Um, you know loneliness levels were were dramatically rising here and so i started to look at all the pieces of the puzzle you know, um, social media, tech use, um, what was happening in our country in terms of political divide, um, and national events such as 9-11, and how all of these things seemed to be coalescing um, with what I was seeing in my practice, which was a rise in anxiety, Um, a sense of chronic disease, if you will, and um, that because I practice from a depth oriented model, I look at uh, people's uh, relationships with each other and the security of those relationships based on what their family of origin was like. And I started to make links between this concept of secure attachment and stress. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah and yeah. so I started to really realize that we had you know two major phenomenons happening here mm-hmm. that the security of our relationships with each other was decreasing dramatically. And that's a huge um, buffer against stress. Yeah. And our stress levels were rising dramatically. So that's what prompted me to write the book, um, and then the pandemic hit, and stress really flew off the charts. Yeah. So, um, you know, I hope people can uh, find something that is pertinent to them, but it does address a lot of different aspects of stress, you know?
0: It's amazing what you say. um from my own kind of knowledge, uh, like we talk a lot about uh, attachment, and you know, people having you know attachment issues, or um, sometimes when you're talking to someone, you get this idea. You know, when you start talking about their like their backgrounds, and you get this idea that yeah, there's not a secure attachment, and it makes, and then a lot of behaviour starts to make sense. Um, and yet, yeah, it's a
1: great it's a great theory. It's well researched. And it yeah. does make a lot of sense. Yeah, Oh, it
0: totally makes sense. But then if you put that into context of like, uh, as you're saying, like 911, or, um, you know, a big scary incident, if you haven't got that attachment base there already. And um, then you know, everything is going to make you more scared, isn't it? And the media is just built up to make us scared.
1: Yeah, for sure, especially here with mass shootings. You know, that's just been a huge thing here. It's, you know, when um, the uh, stress surveys that the American Psychological Association does every year were done in, uh, I think it was 2018, they really looked at the Z generation and found that, you know, 75% of them were worried about mass shootings. Um, It's a significant source of stress for young people in particular. But the other thing about attachment that I think is really fascinating is that we don't just, I mean, so attachment is essentially the psychological bond between two people. Yeah. And it really originates from the initial bond that a baby makes with its caregiver, usually the parent. Yeah. Um, and then that translates in adulthood to how you navigate your relationships. Um, and it's based on whether that parent gave you attuned responses or not. But what I found is we can also have attachments to our nation or to other groups, you know, schools, workplaces, and those can be insecure or secure as well. And it really um, became apparent to me from my private practice that the security of our attachment to our nation here in the U S was declining Um You know, quite a lot. Uh, Really, I started looking at it after nine eleven, but there's so many things that went into that and why it was declining here. So, even if people had a secure attachment, you're right; they should be able to navigate stress better. Um, If their attachment to their nation was breaking down, he still saw increases in anxiety.
0: That's such a uh, that's a really strange concept to me. the idea of that's being secure with your nation. Yeah.
1: Well, you think about it like, you know, we say the father of our nation or the motherland, we personify countries as parental figures. And so, yeah. And so whoever is leading the countries, you know, we had Trump here and that wasn't making people, a lot of people feel very secure. It was high anxiety for four years. Um, And, You know, whatever is happening in the nation, if you know, there's a terrorist attack, all of a sudden you feel like, gosh, my country doesn't feel that secure anymore. I'm walking through the airport and I can't just waltz on through anymore to my plane. It it creates sort of this less conscious, maybe, but generalized feeling of not feeling safe. And security helps us feel safe, you know.
0: Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, and it makes complete sense. I like um, psychology is um one of is a very interesting topic because um quite often uh, it's telling you something that's that makes sense and it's like, oh yeah, I should know that.
1: Yeah. yeah, it can be really validating right
0: yeah yeah i i um I did a degree in criminal justice um and like a large part of that was psychology, and my wife did a yeah. degree in psychology as well. So it's kind of, uh, we. it's something that comes up a lot. And um, yeah, it's just so amazing. Like I've had quite a bit of therapy through the years and uh, often they are those little concepts and you're like, ah, right. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I, I can navigate now. I can. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really interesting, especially you say about security, everything's security. You wonder how um, people cope in, you know, like, uh, the really war-torn areas, you know, like in Eastern Europe years ago, and you wonder how, um, yeah, how it must impact on them because they're directly at threat. But actually, you know, tell the truth. You talk about shootings, you know, in schools and things. It's not going to be, yeah, they're, they're... They're up there, aren't they?
1: Well, no, you're right. I mean, you know, some, you know, there are massive groups of people. I mean, I'm just thinking about India right now. I mean, (laughs) my God, what they're going through. But yeah, there have been, you know, points in history where um, the stress has been off the charts and the trust in the country is completely obliterated, Um, you know. So, you know, this is not new. but I think for the US, it feels kind of new. Um, we've yeah, always sort that. of been, you know, in this, you know, somewhat, uh, not that we haven't had our own tragedies, but, you know, we, we've sort of had this illusion of protection um, that really doesn't exist as much anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can ima- Oh, you know, like in the 80s, when, I mean, this. Cr- when I grew up we were looking to America, you know, I, yeah. I whenever I played, I always played an American accent, you know. Was, <laughs> it was Star Wars and everything. And um, and yeah, at times like that you're gonna feel pretty pretty strong. I, yeah, it, it makes sense. It really does. But and a then lot you've, you've of got that turned and- around.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of those phenomena, like the loneliness epidemic here is also true for the UK. Um, And a lot of what we're seeing in terms of breakdown of attachment, unfortunately seems to correlate with social media and tech use. It's just fact and that's worldwide. Um, So, you know, I do address that, you know, social media and tech is here to stay and it's not all bad, obviously. Um, but it definitely was something that, you know, like many addictive things, such as cigarettes, we just didn't think about it until it was, you know, wreaking havoc. Um, And the dark side took over and we had to figure out how to, you know, set boundaries around it. Um, And it's a pretty powerful thing um, in terms of its effect on kids' you know ability to develop empathy in terms of loneliness depression anxiety suicidal ideation uh you know it's so it's a huge part of stress um these days and i think something that we just really need to figure out how to uh deal with in a better way
0: so what in particular um what are the Particular issues that you you feel about it.
1: Well, most teens spend about nine hours a day on an electronic device. Yeah. Um, what the research shows, if you, is that if people are spending more than two hours a day on an electronic device, um, they're Scores on cognitive tests um, and language learning go down. There, oh, really? uh, rates of depression um, are higher. So, kids, even who spend more than two hours a day, which I'm sorry, I don't know a kid that doesn't spend less, <laughs> yeah, spend yeah, less yeah. than two hours a day on a bus. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think they all happen. do, um, are less happy. Um, you know, they should. I think kind of- that
0: is, then, because uh, I'm. I've got fairly young children, like I've got a daughter who's 14 and my son's 11. Um, and um, I can't really, my son's got autism, so I can't really judge it on him. But I would say if I judged it on my daughter, um, yeah, she's mostly she's watching TV or a film. That's the thing, she's not necessarily um, um.
1: Good for her, because most kids are on social media.
0: Oh, she doesn't actually. She doesn't seem that bothered with social media, Um, but you know, with lockdown, it's been quite useful because she's been able to talk to her friends a bit, and they tend to type on WhatsApp. But um, yeah, and then I just think, well, what? Yeah, she's just watching TV or a film. That's pretty much what I did.
1: Um, yeah, I don't I mean, you know, that screen media does come into play. It is a screen. They do say really, that,
0: yeah, the screen in particular. But,
1: but what what really I think we're looking at here um is you know the, the doom scrolling, right? The um, oh yeah. The the devices, the the, the, the eye devices that actually in particular the smartphone that make it so easy to become addicted to just scrolling, scrolling, switching, um, clicking, doing whatever. You're not gonna do that when you're watching a film.
0: No, that's true. Um, that's true.
1: And the social media influences major on kids, uh, in terms of I mean, the, the research is so plentiful now with regard to the fact that it just makes people feel poorly about themselves
0: yeah, yeah. the
1: majority of the time. And I'm not yeah. saying all the time.
0: No, I'm no, not you're... saying
1: it's all bad, but really when you look at what are the benefits to, you know, what are the drawbacks, the drawbacks are so much more. It's yeah, just, yeah. you know, it just is what it is. And and particularly, you know, and you see that in films like The Social Dilemma or um Erased to Nowhere or, you know, other films that have been done about you know tech use and its effect on kids in mm. that you know it just it the recent study out of the national institute of health here you know is looking at gray matter in the brain and that it reduces gray matter in the brain which is really responsible for our executive functions like
0: oh, organization
1: and you know, figuring out, you know, how to critically think. Um, So it is a pretty big deal. And because it's something that sort of crept up, I mean, Mm -hmm. the iPhone came out in 2007. It's not been, you know, it's sort of been like the frog in the water, right? It's not been as easy to notice on a daily basis. But teen suicide has gone up 60%. Um, You know, sixty percent. Sixty percent between two thousand and seven and twenty eighteen, and two thousand and seven is when the iPhone came out. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: No way. Do you think um, like there's there's an element of it that you um, you're very disconnected and separate while you're doing it, so you're not really aware of the beauty of the sky, you know, you're just there. And that brings your vision right in. And then if you think, um, you know, everyone in the house is kind of doing that, then you're also missing out on interaction and attachment. And then is that, because I start thinking about where's the loneliness coming. And I think if you end up just doing that all the time, you're not engaging with other people and that will make you feel lonely.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's correlated with loneliness completely. I mean, half of millennials report that they do not feel, you know, connected uh, at all to their family, um, even when they're in the room with them. And that's with the presence of, you know, smartphones yeah um so it's a it's a it's a huge thing with regard to secure attachment because remember that uh, the origin of creating secure attachment it's a really neurological it's a neurobiological psychological process where the baby is looking at the mother let's say and the mother's eyes are dilating because of the love she feels for the baby, the baby's responding to that eye dilation. And so really the mother's verbal and nonverbal communication is imprinting on the baby's right hemisphere, helping to grow the brain, helping to develop emotion, regulation, self-regulation, all of those things that are important for life that continues. I mean, you know, when we look each other in the eye, we get oxytocin release and we're more likely to want to be with each other. We're more likely to want to hang out with each other. Yeah. You just can't get that with texting Snapchat and social media exchanges. Um, it doesn't exist. And, you know, not to mention that, especially among teens, the persona is the big thing. You can tweak mm-hmm. your photos. You can make yeah. yourself. You can. You know, it's not. It's not often very authentic, um, particularly in that age group. So um, it really is giving kids kind of a false understanding of connection and really ripping them off from connection. There's a reason why teenagers are not having sex as much as they did in the prior generations.
0: Is that true? <laughs> Yeah, it's wow, I didn't they, know that
1: they don't get together, they're not going out on dates, and you know, some parents might be happy about that, but really what it points to is a sad phenomenon, it, it comes down to the fact that they're not physically getting together as much, they're in the yeah. bedrooms, um, and, and so while I feel strongly about this, and I've got two sons. One's twenty. One's sixteen. And so they've grown up with this. And it, yeah. I've been in the midst of you know figuring out how to, you know, help them regulate it um, while understanding that this is the world. I mean, I'm not, we're not going to be removing mm. yeah, yeah. devices. Um, you know, it is really um, I think one of our biggest challenges um, these days so uh that's why tech addiction is included in a book on stress right Mm.
0: well it might oh of course of course there's no doubt that uh, social media gives us stress i mean even i do it you know like when you think oh someone's got more likes you know it just make all of these things uh just condensed into a thing that you hold that tells you you're not good enough it's like yeah really helpful um and then you know, so to some extent, I kind of impose my own rules so that I don't get so that, I, it, that the phone doesn't make me feel bad, you know, and uh, You have to impose your um, own rules. Yeah. But
1: what's hard about it is it's, you know, unlike, you know, maybe, and I'm not saying that being an alcoholic is easy, but, you know, you can remove the booze from the house. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot do that with your smartphone. At least it's very difficult to function day-to-day life if you do that. And so now, you know, you find these camps popping up that are, you know, they're not really camps. They're um, treatment programs for kids who are addicted to their devices. So there are no devices allowed, obviously, in the treatment programs out in the middle of nowhere in nature to get them unhooked.
0: God, Um, I I wonder how long they have to go for. I wonder how long that takes? And like, do you, you wouldn't have withdrawals, would you, not physical withdrawals?
1: Well, that's, there, I mean, there is a form of withdrawal that occurs. I mean, kids really get anxious. I mean, Mm. so there are studies done on this when people are separated from their smartphones this isn't just kids this is people mm. like you and me too are separated from their smartphones their anxiety levels go up oh
0: I'd, yeah no no I, I agree if i go outside to smoke a cigarette and i um don't take my phone it's like oh i'd have to go back in let's go and get it because what am i going to do while i'm doing it
1: right right yeah yeah so yeah we do have to find ways to um you know regulate it and i think you know restriction is really hard in general or willpower so to speak is difficult and so one of the things that i talk about is actually not I mean, I do talk about boundaries and, you know, whether it be place boundaries, not having it in the bedroom, not having it in the front seat of the car, you know, things like that. But really, I think what needs to happen and certainly what we've done with our 16 year old is just require that you have to spend a certain amount of time outside without your device, or you've got to spend a certain amount of time doing something physically active without the device. Oh, rather, ah, right, yeah. And other activities that don't entail the device.
0: But what you're also <laughs> so, what you're also not saying is no device.
1: Right, right. You're well, saying it's not so focused on. Res- yeah, it's yeah. not
0: saying you're only allowed two hours. You've just put you put a different spin on it. Yeah, clever. I like that. Yeah, yeah
1: the, the the only allowed two hours is a tough one. I mean, you can't, mm. it's so hard to regulate that with teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, so what? Yeah, give us some, what are some of your uh, stress ideas about kind of dealing with stress? I um I meditate. And that sorts me out pretty quickly half an hour and I feel much more together. Yeah.
1: Yeah, meditation. I talk about that. I dedicate a chapter to mindfulness. Um, And uh, the reason being is that the research on it is, um, once again, abundant and, uh, you know, really uh, sort of earth shattering in that mindfulness, which isn't necessarily meditation, it's just pain paying attention in the present moment yeah. without judgment. So you can be mindful, I can be mindful right now on talking to you um, and not be meditating. And that practice of being fully present without judgment uh, really does all kinds of positive things for the body, the brain, the psyche it decreases anxiety it decreases depression it lowers blood pressure it decreases cortisol in the body it sharpens cognition um so i can't say enough about it and a lot of people shy away from it because they feel like it's meditation it's like i don't have time for that Um, i can't be sitting down 30 minutes a day i talk about all of that in the book there are ways that you can incorporate mindful practice without having to sit down and meditate for 30 minutes a day oh, yeah. although that's a really good thing to yeah do. I mean,
0: that does help I do mindfulness quite a bit as well I, I was uh, I was having uh, kind of like a loose CBT type therapy but also a lot of talking as well uh, mm-hmm. and the gut, this was probably about four years ago and um, the therapist was great, and then he started to introduce mindfulness to me, just a little bit at a time. Um, and yeah, it it totally works. It, it's yeah. one of those things where it's where, as you say, you don't you don't have to be doing a lot; just paying attention, paying attention without judgment. You know, it's brings you bit brings you in a bit. I sw- I swear by it. absolutely yeah and it's not it's not complicated it is really quite simple as you say um but it makes massive and then you start to appreciate things more
1: so the other thing about mindfulness that's so key here is that like you and i talked about earlier if you have a secure attachment and there are a host of different kinds of insecure attachments by the way but if you have a secure attachment um you really are Uh, developing the same traits that mindfulness practice promotes. So mindfulness practice and secure attachment have a lot in common. And in fact, you know, if you've grown up, you know, with, you know, traumatic in a traumatic childhood, or you didn't have a secure attachment with your caregiver because your caregiver was self-absorbed or whatnot, um, it doesn't mean that's set in stone. You can change your attachment style. And you know you don't have to be in a fantastic relationship with a romantic partner or have a best friend or anything to do that. You can actually affect your attachment style by practicing mindfulness meditation because you're developing a non-judgmental compassionate relationship with the self when you do that. And that is the basis. It's attunement, compassionate, non-judgmental. All of those things are the basis of what helps develop secure attachment. So it's really key. It's it's a key thing here for people to do. I mean, I was just talking with one of my patients the other day who, again, was running into the time problem. And uh, we just discussed the idea of setting reminders. here's where we have to use the smartphone sometimes, but for the better good, mm-hmm. setting reminders on the phone so that he will pause three times throughout the day for five minutes and just focus on his breathing. Um, just to kind of press the reset button, yeah. you know, and and, st- and, and begin mm-hmm. to develop a non-judgmental, you know, moment with himself. This is somebody who's uh, very critical of himself. Mm. Um, so just starting to practice that, it just has, uh, it seems so simple, but it really has, um, you know, far-reaching effects that are good, great, and that help reduce stress.
0: I think it's something you have to do quite regularly. You have to try and get into a habit. Right. You do it quite regularly, and after a while, you find yourself doing it normally. Like anything, you know, all those things, they take a little while, but you put the effort in early, then yeah. it will pay off later. And um, Yeah, and I,
1: I tell people to start small, because if you make the uh, goal that you're going to meditate for 30 minutes a day and you're going from zero, it's kind of like going from zero to 60, yeah. you're probably going to fall off the wagon. But if you start small, like I'm just going to do this for five minutes, I'm going to build it up, you're more likely to be successful with
0: it. I had um, – I, I, uh, the best I used to see a hypnotherapist not that long ago and it, it was amazing but we would spend about an hour prior to basically doing talking therapy and um, just throwing ideas around and it, really, it just really worked but he um, I was really low one day and he said uh, he did like uh, a trick with me to where uh, you pick everything bad is one color and everything good that you want is another color. Uh, so I was like, yellow's bad. And then I close my eyes, really focus on it. And then really close my eyes and focus on blue. And um, and I find that when I'm feeling really, like my head's just going in on itself, um, I'll notice something blue and then that will go, ah, right, notice the blues. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. It really works because it, it somehow uh, popped in there and that brings me back to mindfulness. Every time I start feeling stressed, it's amazing. It, it, yeah, yeah. These things, it's, they do work.
1: It's, it's Rick Hansen, who is another psychologist here in the US. It's his whole concept. He wrote the book Hardwiring Happiness about looking for the good that's what you're doing there you know it's looking for the good because our minds are wired to look for the threats yeah and if you're suffering from chronic stress you're in a feedback loop where you're constantly looking for the threats and this is the problem with loneliness too is that lonely people perceive other people as threatening because it's about rejection or not feeling enough And so it's a really difficult cycle to break with loneliness. Actually, one of the best ways to break it is really practicing speaking kindly to yourself. It doesn't have to be about going out and volunteering and getting involved in groups and clubs and all that kind of stuff. It feels threatening to you. It's really about learning to speak compassionately, kindly using your own name, you know, and speaking like, hey, Nick, I'm here for you really speaking that way to yourself. It's, it's, um, it is a well researched mm-hmm. practice that not only reduces stress, but decreases loneliness, which is a stress related phenomenon.
0: I quite often, um, I, yeah, I quite often, um, you know, I I'll think when it when saying it's going well, I'll make sure I tell myself you know, like, no, no, you're doing well. And then if something goes wrong, I'll kind of say to myself, oh, no, but you did that the other day, and that's really good, so you're winning.
1: Um, good.
0: good for but you. But it is silly, isn't it? But it, 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 if you're saying bad things to yourself and everything around you is bad, all the news is all doom, um, you know, and there's, there's actually really bad stuff going on, it's hard to, it, you know, your brain just starts going that way. Well, it's hard to it's, break it. you have to th- make an
1: effort. Yeah, you're th- when you're doing that, when you're speaking negatively to yourself, you're you're actually threatening yourself. So you don't know it, but you are setting off the stress response in yourself every time you criticize yourself. That's increasing cortisol that's so damaging to the body, right? It creates heart disease, diabetes, all kinds of things. And it's that kind of chronic stress that so many people don't realize they're inflicting on themselves, just by criticizing themselves. They think that they're somehow you know, practicing tough love that if they criticize themselves enough, it'll be negative motivation, but it really doesn't work that way. It actually is much better to do what you're doing and to notice what you've done well. And to, I always say, be curious about mistakes. Mistakes are great. They help us learn, you know. So mindfulness and meditation is definitely a tool to reduce stress. You know, a really easy one, and this is also quite profound to me, um, again, based on the research is to just be in contact um, with nature of some sort, Ah. for a few minutes every day. Mm -hmm. And I want to be clear, you know, some of the Nordic countries, some of some of uh, the countries in the in Europe that um, really you know are big on nature walks and forest bathing and things like that um you know have studied this and talk about how 20 minutes in a walk in the forest dramatically reduces your cortisol levels which no, that's dead. right that's
0: right again, uh, yeah it's it's fact it sounds it's fact.
1: fact a lot and of yet, people don't know that no and i, I just want to say you don't have to kind of like i said about meditation you don't have to go walk in the forest for 20 minutes yes it's good But other studies, um, there was one out of Amsterdam um, showed that, I mean, let's say you're living in the city and there's not a tree in sight. That's your life. Um, You don't have access to a forest and the park might not be safe to walk in. Um, You can sit out on your porch and look up in the sky or according to this study out of Amsterdam, you can actually look at nature Photographs or in nature video. Yeah, so here's that. a good way of yeah. using the screen again. I mean, that seems um, crazy,
0: doesn't it? Just looking at a picture of a tree will actually make yeah. you feel Yeah.
1: So they studied yeah. people's brains and functional MRIs and found that when people looked at nature videos, it had the same impact on the brain that mindfulness meditation has on the
0: brain. That's just so... It's it's yeah. very hard to comprehend, but I've, I, I've actually I was having a conversation about the same thing the other day um, and, you know, I was talking to someone who knew, you know, <laughs> like yourself and they were like, no, it's a fact. Yeah, it's a
1: fact. And, you know, it's true that people who live in green spaces are, you know, happier. Yeah. And so while you can't always control that, um, you know, maybe fill your place with plants. Um yeah. you know, there are studies on this, it really is a thing and it's easy to do. And, you know, we're, we're detached from our planet. Uh, that's a problem. And it's the archetypal mother, it's why we call it mother nature. And there really is a benefit to nature, not just on cortisol levels, but also in the fact that when we're in nature, we feel less lonely, we feel more connected, we don't have to be there with somebody. Um, so there really is a deep psychological um, effect, positive effect of nature. Also. I often,
0: I often think about, um, it's good to get a sense of perspective. Um, so you know, like, uh, sitting in the garden, looking at the stars, gives you a, a, a concept <laughs> of like, um, how small you really are. Uh, right. and, and there has been times in my life when that has made me feel bad. But now, much more now, it makes me think, well, I can do anything, you know, like what? Then why does it matter that someone thinks that or, if, you know, that's happened? Like, right. it, it, it's what it, you know, the chance of everything happening, we just let it yeah. go. It well, t- yeah, you're
1: talking about being less self-absorbed, right? Yeah, yeah. You know it's like you 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 see the bigger picture and you're not focusing on all the little things about yourself
0: anymore, yeah you're looking out rather than looking in exactly and, which strangely enough is uh it's funny because often um I've talked about this many times uh, that um, you know you talk uh, we're talking about attachment and the idea that um, we spend so much of our time trying to fill the void uh and to have attachment um and thinking that will make everything better you know like you kind of you know it's this hope that you'll fall in love and then then everything will be good and then you're like i know life still goes on and there's still bad bits and good bits and um and often i I came came to the conclusion many years ago that i'd spent a lot of time doing that and then realized that Now I need this kind of look within to take that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that goes back to just the power of the way in which you talk to yourself, just become aware of it, just start by becoming aware of how you talk to yourself. But yeah, you're talking about, um, you know, on the one hand, the looking up at the sky widens the lens. It's one of the tools I talk about in the book. Um, And that that's a good thing. And then we're also talking about how kind of really attuned attention to the self um, in a positive way also is helpful, Mm. Um, you know? And so it depends upon, that's not self-absorption. That's just attunement, what you're talking about there. Yeah. Which is, again, the basis of secure attachment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: But I also talk about eye contact. I know it seems really simple. And, you know, I have to say one of the things that definitely has helped us with the pandemic is the fact that we have had things like Zoom and the fact that you and I can look at each other. And even though the camera's a little up there, wherever it is, it's still better than talking on the phone. Um, But people are looking down at their devices so much, that's just a fact, um, and are getting together less, particularly with the pandemic and probably maybe Mm -hmm. post-pandemic, that it's just key that we try to be intentional about looking each other in the eye. It, It creates a sense of connection. It doesn't have to be some big, long, weird, staring at something. no 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 you're right Um, it's just grocery store clerk you know um your kid um just taking the time to do it actually does increase oxytocin which is that feel-good social hormone that's going to make you want to interact with people more and less with your phone
0: and i often kind of uh i've kind of come this idea that uh, life is all about relationships and connections Mm -hmm. and um everything else is is reasonably just you know bricks and mortar but it's actually about connection it's actually about talking to people and then that makes you feel good and then they feel good and then someone else feels good and just this general idea that actually you know relationships are so so important and um if we are on our phones, we're not having relationships. You know, mm-hmm. we're not having those conversations where suddenly you learn something that you didn't know, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah it really is. It's the key to our well being.
0: Yeah. 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 Yeah, we, we can't do it on our own. That's that's why it's really sad that um did you think um people being isolated, did that happen before? Was that still a big thing before? Um COVID? Has well, that been since? Yeah, UC San
1: Diego did a did a study in 2018 on right. loneliness and found that 75% of Americans were moderately to highly lonely. 75%. Oh,
0: that's
1: really horrible, um, and the. the The thing, again, that I think is noteworthy is that the loneliest generation is not the oldest generation. It's the Z generation. That's our young adults and teenagers. Um, And it does, once again, correlate to the culture they're growing up in Mm. that's highly, highly digital. Um, Mm. So loneliness, what I found in my practice is that loneliness definitely increased during the pandemic, but it was already really high. Right um but so did social anxiety so that as we started to open up more and people could actually you know go out and do some things they couldn't do months prior there was this general tendency to kind of hang back to feel a little kind of naked and exposed out there in the world and people couldn't put their finger on it you know i had one patient say i just feel who used to travel all the time i just feel sort of a little anxious getting getting on an airplane not because of covid but just being out in the world among yeah. people like yeah. you know yeah. there it there really was yeah, you, people people became less familiar with being with each other so despite the fact that they were lonelier um they weren't you know chomping at the bit to get out and get together with people because the anxiety was holding them back that's kind of the thing I'm dealing with now a lot yeah. is trying to help people assimilate again, like go back to work. Cause they can, you know, it's important. Yeah. Um, it's an important thing to do little by little. Um, and maybe some things will change permanently and maybe something for the better. Maybe there will be less travel and that's not a bad thing in my yeah. mind. But uh, but it is important, I think, to get back to the office and interact with live people. Oh, um, yeah.
0: But it, it is, as you say, it's a gradual process. So the other weekend, I saw a couple of friends like, on two separate occasions, and it was weird. I don't think any of us had a great time. Like, like <laughs> we would have before. You know, before we would have been laughing and joking, but there's still restrictions, so you're kind of on edge. Yeah, uh, and um, yeah, people thought it was going to be like this blitz, you know, spirit when everyone <laughs> would be all together. But not everyone's nervous. And then I, it's, I, yeah, it's true. It's the same. I went back to work as well. I was in office all last week, and it was, yeah, it was just strange. And I kind of had to recognise that. Oh no, you're not going to love it. It's, it's you're not used to it. It's a bit yeah, weird. I mean,
1: We've been under chronic stress, yeah. uh, we've been traumatized in a way, yeah. and so there is some degree of post-traumatic stress that's occurring right now, and you're describing that, sort of this tentativeness, vigilance, right?
0: Yeah, 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 we've vigilance. Developed.
1: Yeah, right. but there are a lot of things, you know, in terms of tips, going back to tips, I mean, there are oh, a yeah. lot of things in the book... Um, You know, I'm just touching on some of them. But if people aren't, you know, um, into meditating, um, although I highly recommend it, or if people aren't, you know, keen on uh, taking five minutes to take a walk, uh, you know, among some trees or something, you you can do some simple things that actually reduce stress, like just eat better. And I know that sounds weird, but our you know 70% of our immune cells are in the gut 90% of our serotonin which is the main mood regulating hormone lives in our gut and the guts connected to the brain with via the hypothalamic pituitary axis which is the main system in the body that regulates stress and the vagus nerve which also regulates stress and so what we put in our guts actually affects our brains and there are more and more research studies on this and now a new um, sort of field that's being found um, where um, some doctors are experimenting with using certain combinations of probiotics to really? treat, treat depression because mm. it's affecting gut microbiota, right? It's affecting the balance of the gut microbiome when you take certain kinds of, micro, of probiotics. I wouldn't do it on your own, it's all dependent on what particularly is going on with you. But uh, yeah, there is a ton of research now on how big a role the gut plays in psychological disease, and yes. And so because these two systems, you know, that the brain and the gut are connected by the, the two systems that are regulating stress, mm. if we are stressed in our head, it's going to negatively affect the gut flora, right? So regardless if you're eating, you know, the best vegan diet or whatnot, and you're still chronically stressed, you're still, you know, going to possibly imbalance your gut. Or if you're not chronically stressed in your head, and you're eating, you know, crap food every day, um, that could really disturb the flora in the gut. And it could actually create stress in the brain. So it's a fascinating link between the Mm. gut and the brain and more and more research is coming out about that. And so it is something to think about.
0: I've often said to people, like, if I've been really, you know, really, like, badly, badly depressed, I'm, I feel physically ill as well. You know, it's like, yeah, I I don't feel well, at all, you know, I've got no energy, but I also physically get ill constantly. Right. And you can see those links.
1: Yeah, you just you get butterflies in your stomach, even right when you're, yeah. you know, in a stressful event. Mm. Um, you know, um, but it affects this migrating motor complex in the gut, which sweeps the bacteria from, you know, the small intestine, the large intestine, and that can break down when you're stressed. Your gut is clenching. And then you're, you're, you're messing up your gut in ways that are completely invisible. I mean, this is the thing with stress is that all of the physical effects on the body of stress are are mostly invisible. And that's why it's sort of a silent killer. I don't mean to be dramatic, but it is. And, um, and that's why I think it's so key that we really look at our lives, how we're living our lives. And I just wanted to give people some things they could do to just you know even adjust their life a little bit to decrease the stress so that they have happier and healthier lives you know
0: it's fantastic uh it's really love actually it's really nice because a lot of the things you said the things that um i i kind of do or think about and it makes it's very validating to <laughs> use the yeah. word
1: yeah good <laughs> you're on the right track then yeah
0: i did uh, a course uh, on um personality disorders and there was very much of it was about validation and I'm yeah. like, I'm like oh, so true <laughs> you know that's right. a, attachment too isn't it validation you wouldn't need to feel like you're okay right you... right
1: yeah and that's you know that's the thing it's like I think unfortunately particularly younger generations but even adults you know are looking for the validation a lot via social media. It's not real validation. So there's a whole phenomenon. I mean, I'm thinking about your podcast um, name, and there's just a whole phenomenon among young men these days um, around emotions again. It's like, here we are again, and really believing that if you have emotion, you're needy. Um, And, you know, or it's just a weakness of sorts, and it couldn't be farther from the truth. And so, you know, there's sort of this um, phenomenon happening that's getting reinforced via social media around uh, um, emotion as a weakness. And that strength is about not showing it. Um,
0: Yeah yeah this is completely uh, wrong, isn't it that it well, does not and work
1: and the suicide rate you know for young men is quite high,
0: yeah yeah, it's ridiculous, so mm-hmm. um full people a day in the u k fourteen yeah. men a day
1: which
0: is, yeah she uh, just 40. Gone up. yeah
1: and mainly under forty right
0: yeah, um, yeah mm-hmm. kind of yeah. but up towards that end, pretty much yeah. I think yeah yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you so much, Meg. I really enjoyed this. I really have. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, great talking to you, Nick. I feel like I've learned some things. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, really fascinating, and I think everything you said is is just like great advice. And, you know, it is these things you don't have to put loads of effort into. You know, like you can just like sometimes when I'm walking, I'll just try and recognize like the rhythm of my foot of my footsteps, that kind of thing. And then just like bringing it in so where do people get your book tell me like make sure we get the name in and get it all yeah. in there
1: yeah so you know my book's online um uh you can find me on my professional website which is just megvandusen.com i also have a blog called site on stress s-i-g-h-t on stress dot com books on amazon um you know so it's it's easy to get online and uh feel free to email me if you have any questions or anything else i'm you know happy to help out
0: oh thanks meg i'm going to share all that stuff when we release as well so don't worry i'll make sure everyone knows about it thank you so much it's what a lovely way to spend an evening yeah thank it was you. great morning over here yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Evening. take care me. Thanks, thanks for meg. having me Take yeah. care. Bye. This, is the mouth. this, 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 this,